You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grampier, and this episode is with Alani. After meeting her back in June, I knew I had to have her on for a talk. What ended up happening exceeded any expectations I even considered to have. Most of her music is somber and reflective, yet to sit and talk with Alani is a wild card of powerful emotions and poignant observations. What do I mean by that? You'll just have to listen to this talk to find out. I promise you're going to enjoy it. This is the 405 Exchange with Alani. Enjoy. churches with the festival and it was just such a, an amazing experience. I, I cried, the audience were crying, a standing ovation, it was like, this is just ridiculous. That's unbelievable, because <laughs> a lot of them were your, like, your own shows you were playing, right? Yeah, it's my own show. Yeah, what was the, but like, that's amazing, like, to like, go from like Europe into like Brazil to see people reacting to your songs, I mean like... Yeah, I didn't expect, I didn't even look to see what kind of venues I'd be singing at, I just kind of knew the festival, I trusted them because I did... A fest, I did the same festival in Portugal earlier in the year, so I was like, yeah, cool, be cool. <laughs> I arrived at this gold leaf church, and I was just like, okay, I get to sing here. This is amazing. I love singing in churches, so yeah, it was a pretty, pretty humbling experience, let's say. You know, something I've been finding myself very um, fascinated with, with more of the talks that we do, is kind of like how your lives are in so musicians, your lives are so much in motion that at times I could I feel like it'd be difficult to live within the moment. But I imagine being in a place like Brazil and singing in a church is a nice way to just kinda like bring your head back into the world or you're just like, oh wait, I'm doing this right now. And I couldn't I mean the pace that I operate at, I smoke a lot of weed for that reason. I love it. <laughs> no, This is one of those talks where you could get that out of your system by the way. It could be very candid as you want. Always. Um yeah, I, I I don't like to rush. I don't like to feel to feel kind of forced, and it's important. I'm not like a, <laughs> I went to see, I was in Montreal last year, and Lauren Hill was playing. She was like two hours late both nights. <laughs> I was like, how did she do? I was like, what? what? What, what kind of mental state must I would I have to be in to feel like I can do that to people? <laughs> I was like, it's quite you know admirable. It's like okay, this is you know. But then I also understand that you got to be in the right frame of mind. You got to be ready. And if she doesn't feel ready, then why would she go on stage? So that's the reason. If she has to do certain things before she can go on rituals, whatever, uh, yeah. and they take longer. Then you just have to wait for it. Yeah, you know, it's and just I, the way it is. Yeah. One hour, two hours, same difference. Yeah, and I think something very particular that's not discussed enough in regards to her when it comes to... Because a lot of people, when they talk about her live shows, they talk about how long she takes to go on stage. But if you watch Lauren Hill performance, you see her on stage, you see how much she puts into it. Like, 
it is like there's nothing left for, for her like when she got to oh no she's it's total you know full on concentration she's in it she's committed I mean my only thing was is that her songs were so just so ingrained into our culture, so like for the kind of audience that was there, yeah. that was our child, you know, that was a moment in our kind of teen, teenage, yeah, yeah. 20, you know, that turning point, do up, you know, and it's, she tends to change the songs a lot. I, I would, if I were her, I would be like, okay, tonight we're doing, <laughs> we're doing a Baroque version of the shit. No, 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 switch it up, we're doing like heavy metal rock, you know. Because it must be, she's sung it so many times and she's that kind of artist, she'll need to change it for her own sanity. Yeah. But everyone's just wanting to hear it straight, you know? Everyone just wants to hear it and relive a moment in their life and you're like, oh, she's chasing, what, 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 what? You can't, yeah. You know, I love that you said that because I'm very curious with that in this regard, particularly with, towards you. Like, I mean, jumping off of going to Brazil, but also with like other crowds that you've played with. I wonder what it's like for you, particularly going to venues, being on a stage, looking at a crowd, and seeing that there's people who are listening to you. I feel like that type of relationship, that type of attentiveness that someone's giving you is very distinctive in regards to any other level of attentiveness people could give you, like when they're taking in your music. Do you feel like you're aware of that when you're watching, when people, when you can see people watching you perform? And I demand silence. So, I mean, at first, maybe it would be a bit intimidating to just have people watching you, but that's what, that's, what, that's my job to do that too. I think it's kind of going beyond thinking, oh, they're there to see me. It's more like we are watching each other. We are sharing in a moment. Yeah. And as long as I think of it like that, I don't, I don't really, I don't get scared when I go on stage or I have, I don't feel nervous. It's like, oh, I'm just going to talk to some people about something that, affected me they, oh you want to hear me moan oh you want to hear me just talk about my shit my life okay you, you care oh wow like, I can make you cry too oh great <laughs> you can feel something I just make a noise and you feel it okay this is good you know like it's it's a simple exchange it's not um, I'm not trying to sell myself in any way I want to it would be like if I went up and read a passage from a book or poetry or something. It's like this is a moment or something. Especially with this album or this, the songs that I'm singing, the repertoire that I have now, because I've read it about like a love story and it's a continuum. It's a, it takes place, takes place over a year, so it's it's like some kind of you know, um, declaration of me falling in, in and out of love. If you know what I mean? It's a story. Well, I think that's what's interesting about albums about love. I feel like what's the most interesting element is the fact that falling in and out of love is something that naturally most of us will experience. It's probably the most relatable fragment of the human experience that we can yeah. all relate to. But in regards to communicating that, to talking about the during, the before, the during, and the after, I feel like a lot of people don't do it. I think that's what makes us gravitate towards albums specifically. Like. It's such an interesting medium to get across something that we never really talk about. Mm. And I feel your album does that. I really want to talk about that album because, like, I mean, it's one thing to listen to an album, it's another thing to read about it, but then to do both. Like, I really want to talk about the journey of how this album came to be because it is a really special body of work. Oh, thank you. Um, so I guess I had to live a few heartaches first. I had to definitely have my heart broken so I could 
feel something. And then how it kind of really came into life was that I was single and I had been for like six years, <laughs> my best years yet. Um, and I had a certain perspective on where I'd been before in my life. Um, and change was necessary. I, you know, I knew I, I, I trained to sing and dance, so I knew, you know, I had, I couldn't do anything else. But I wasn't ever finishing anything. So I don't know. My great uncle got like blue plaques and commemorated in the UK, and that made me, that inspired me in a way that was like, okay, he was living in a certain time when being black was really, really bad, like bad, bad, bad. Yeah. And and gay, bad, bad, bad. Yes, as bad as it can get. <laughs> bad as it can get, black and gay. Yeah. The 30s, what the <laughs> you know? And he was able to live a life, a true life, express himself, travel, and fill himself with music and culture. And I'm like, hold on, I'm I'm a single, free black female. I should be able to do what the fuck I want without fear of my own projection. Um, so he gave me the confidence just to go, fuck it, I'm going to be me. I was really worried that people would, wouldn't take the way that I sing with me being black and having dreadlocks and still sometimes, like, oh, this, doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. And I was always quite aware of that, going to predominantly white school and to black people seeming, like I would have white guys who like black girls say to me, you're too, you're not black enough. <laughs> Yeah, I predominantly went to mostly, uh, like I grew up mostly in England, but my rest, the other half of my life here. Yeah, and uh, I, it was very similar for me where I grew up in many uh, predominantly white schools and areas. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, I'd be like maybe one of. Well, I can see that school. from you. And why should my thing right now is not right now, but as I grow more into this, like what the fuck is black and white? Yeah. Because I want to be like this. But the more I grow into myself, yeah. it's like you won't accept me because you feel like I'm a white. What is being white and what is being, being black? black exactly. Do I have to be a certain way? Do I have to speak a certain vernacular? Do I have to look and dress a certain way to be black? Yeah. That's not fair. Oh, because I like to drink wine and go to Tuscany once a year. I'm trying to be white. <laughs> exactly. No, I just fucking like wine and good food. <laughs> Like time we check, like yeah. this whole thing of like new black or blah blah or I haven't got time for that. I'm not, I do not, when I know it sounds like I'm, I'm okay, I have family here in, in the States. I, I was born in London and I come here and I see a whole different level of struggle. Like my cousins who I'm staying with in Brooklyn, they had the same thing, mostly all white school, yeah. all of this thing, but he's still, they're still like, no, oh, black. I don't really been out with a white girl. Never? Never. What? Uh, Latino. Okay. <laughs> I haven't dated black since 2001, but okay. <laughs> and we're so, it's like a very European way of being black. That is so different to here. Even yeah. London is, I feel more free in Paris, where I live, yeah. to be black. I felt that way, particularly in places like uh, Holland and even Scandinavia, like weirdly enough. Yeah, like, Scan I, sat, I was reading 12 Years a Slave before it was made into a film. I have the original oh, yeah. copy of it from 1840-something. Something. I have an original first edition. Yeah. I sat under a tree in Sweden, Sweden, Stockholm, and I was reading this book and I was like, hold on, I'm free. I'm free. I mean, to even I, be there and experience it. To that. be there and experience it and know that my freedom was recent. It's not, 
and still achieving so yeah. and I sat there and I thought and these people aren't watching me and they're not making me feel I had a Swedish boyfriend and I would be amongst his family, his friends, and the only black one. These guys had like dreadlocks and were playing reggae music and knew more about this shit than me. <laughs> and I was, I was like, like, come on, let's let's jam, let's do some reggae. I, I don't do reggae. I remember, really, I may have these, I don't do reggae, sorry. I remember being at a Swedish house party and I was amongst like a bunch of Swedes who were like super into drum and bass and they just assumed I would know everything about drum and bass and I was like, no, I like literally don't. <laughs> I remember went to a club once there and just going. And I was the only black person. I started dancing, and everyone was just watching. <laughs> and I was just like, I just, I don't have enough ego for this. I, just, I, I, I really, I'm gonna have to step out of this, or just dance like a dick. Because so. it's so non-malicious how that comes about. You can like see it in their faces, where they're like, oh wow, like anything I did, and then they started kind of copying me, and they made really happy, and they'd come over and hug me, and I was like, no. no. Way too much attention. I just want to dance. I mean, we could go on and on about Sweden, but I think what's amazing is like all that happens, and you don't feel one ounce of being exotic within yourself. You're just kind of like, this is happening right now. Mm, living in Paris has made me feel my exoticism. Exoticism? Yeah. I kind of want to ask you about that. Well, I was going to ask you later, but we could talk about that now. Like, what do you feel living? I feel like, yeah, we can make it work. It's our podcast, so it's our word today. It's a true word today. But tell me about living in Paris, particularly what you feel it's done for you creatively and personally, because I really wanted to talk to you about that. Well, I was trying to look for somewhere to live in London, and then I was spending a lot of time work, like doing the music in Paris, and I thought, I was going to Paris and I just locked myself in a hotel room and I was feeling sick. I was like, why am I feeling like this anxious every time I come here? I love it, what's going on? And something just went, fuck it, just move there. And then the anxiety went, I found somewhere to live like in three days, within three days. That's okay. unbelievable. I thought, this is, yeah, <laughs> then I've made the right decision. Uh-huh. So that, two years later, <laughs> um, I don't know, Paris is one of those cities where, you know, it feels like a little, it's untouched and it's got so much love and spirit and passion and romance and just things. Just you walk around a corner and you're like, oh my god, I'm on a film set. You know, I've had access to spaces that I never thought I'd be able to sing in, like in castles and these magical rooms, golden rooms and these ceilings. I get to sing here. You just let me do this. Um, so it's just it was just the best way that I could have started my career because in London I just wouldn't have it wouldn't have sat it wasn't sitting right they wouldn't have got it they would have just seen it as like really old time whereas in Paris they saw a bit more of the they have a more of a love for tradition more of a passion to preserve yeah um, the culture of of their of their history um, and part of that history is jazz music, which I'm not a jazz singer, but I I could see the path more clearly with, whilst I was making the album. I was like, it will work there because they'll get it. They, they made they made jazz. It was created in Harlem, but they made it without France and Parisians taking in all those black artists that needed money to eat turning it, giving it a style, making the posters and all of those things, it wouldn't have existed. So I go there and it resonates, Edith Piaf, that resonates with them too, and you know, I'm like, okay, if you want to take me in, take me in, please. Yeah, they showed me so much love. Uh, yeah. And it's something I feel like I've noticed over the years with French people is that I feel like out of, I mean, 
I could be totally wrong with this, and I probably might need to travel more, but I feel like <laughs> in regards to French people that I've experienced in my life, I've rarely ever had to explain to them what something was in regards to whether or not they would like it. You could say to like a French person, you'll probably like this, try this, in terms of like music or some a bit of culture. Oh, they're so and, open. Exactly. They're open, open. I've, I once, um, there was a dance hall, Jamaican dance hall film, uh, documentary, yeah. and I went to see it in Paris with my then French boyfriend, and um, it was in a very popular area, white area, and I was myself and someone else, only two black people. I think the other person was more like Indian or something. Everyone else was white in the cinema. So I was like, okay. So then I thought, let me just have a little look and see where this film is showing in London. And it was only in the black areas, only in Brixton, only in Peckham. Mm. And I was like, hold on, this is not progressive at all then. So how comes it translates like that here? Yeah. And it's not even the same language when, and then just, you know, it just, it's like here everything, and even worse now that we have algorithms and all these patterns, Facebook, all that fucking shit, that is just pumping the same, the repetitive, you know, they're just pushing us into these lanes. Here, just go here, just go here. That's all you should know. That's all we want you to know. So stay in your lane, don't come out of it. Be black, just black. It's strange because, like, I feel for a lot of people who might be listening who might not be black, but I imagine, <laughs> I do imagine there are white people who get this to a degree. It's like, it's very strange growing up black and when you get older realizing that you thought your life had been put in these, like, different constraints and you almost had to, like, go into different parts of the world just so you could, like, take a step outside. Like, like you're talking about how it would be in Peckham and Brixton. Mm -hmm. Like, if you didn't have the experience of being in Paris and seeing it in a more open place, you probably never would have had the foresight to look into like where it'd be like the exactly you wouldn't i mean i have a friend in paris who works who's um in charge of kind of uh the brand not awareness but brand placement let's say of louis vuitton in the sector of humanitarianism because i guess they don't have that stuff yeah. so that's his job and he, he has a that's program, a tall order of a job though he has a program where he will he go you know they offer job placements in specifically into the ghettos into the suburbs, and um, he says a lot of like these are job positions to work for Celine, Louis Vuitton, all these you know big brands, Kenzo, and these kids don't apply for it. And once he gets more in, into their head, you know group meetings, whatever, gets them into the building, and he talks to them, they're like, well, we just don't feel like we belong here. And it's like, wow, then that means that. You know, you're a kid, you have wild, open imagination, and at some point, someone, something has told you, you can't dream beyond this thing. And unfortunately for us, that comes with a colour, and I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live that either. <laughs> well, amen, hallelujah! <laughs> hallelujah! Amen! Make your progress! <laughs> and look, <laughs> this is not, this movement that has to, that fucking has to happen is not a white separatist thing. For me, it's not about being pro-black and whatever else. You just want I, your eyes open. I just want people to see people. I don't want to be judged before. I try not to judge people, but we do it automatically. You know, I, I have a preference of kind of shoes. I could look at someone's <laughs> shoes and go, I know we're not going to have the kind of conversation I need to have. <laughs> and just, well, now I'm definitely hiding my fucking shoes. Let me see. Jesus. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Cork sole. It's got cork. No. <laughs> but no, but you know what I mean. We, I'm not saying I would dismiss this person, not in the slightest, but I can tell the kind of person that I'd have a lot of things to talk about. It could be down to you having a camera that I'm like, okay, well, I know he's going to have a certain view of the world, 
because of this thing. And we can talk and we can have a shared dialogue or, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. Badge or something, you know. I talk to crazies all the time. <laughs> crazy knows crazy, I guess. That's quite true, isn't it? I kind of want to jump in the album specifically backwards a little bit over something you said when I asked you about it a few minutes ago. You said something along the lines of like how for these songs to come out the way they did, you had to go to a point where you allowed yourself to even put these things out there. Like you had to allow yourself to look into the pain you were feeling or look back on previous relationships and find yourself letting these songs come out. What do you feel it is about that that's very true for you? Like, was that within the process of making it or do you feel it was more subconscious? It was quite subconscious and conscious at the same time because I was, when I started, when I wrote Cherry Blossom, the kind of first song, I, um, I was in Grenada and I was staying in Sotez, which is like the real rough sea part, like St. George's is with lovely, beautiful, you know, picturesque beaches out. But the sea up there is rough, so you can't really swim. And I stayed with my, my grandparents, and I would just go down to the beach and just paint, or just walk up and down. And I wasn't, I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to smoke, which is not like me. I didn't smoke at all. I was being handed it. Yeah, I'm actually good. <laughs> and um, the song came to me, and I just knew that something it, just before that my uncle great uncle had been commemorated so it was just all kind of linking and connecting and i felt very just without forcing anything i wasn't going down to the beach like now it's time to meditate i was just needing some you know stillness and then i met this german man on the beach and i saw him from a distance and i was like i want to talk to this man came towards me and we started talking and he turned out to be a musician as well and a producer and collector of vintage everything. What are the odds? Huh? What are the odds of that? So we spent the whole day, he was leaving the next day, we spent the whole day, we went to another beach, we went for dinner, we just hung out and then, um, then yeah, the song came, I started writing the album, I was sharing it with him and he was like, well, I've got these mics and he was sending me pictures and pictures of all these different mics and I was like, dude, I'm just coming over, okay? I can make you want. Don't kill me in the forest. I know it's Hitler. I know it's Hitler. Hitler's, the scent of Hitler's still there. I don't know what may happen to me. There's definitely Germans will say now we're pissed off at you now. You should, you should apologize to the Germans. What? That's what he's... I, 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 won't, I won't go any further. I won't go any further in my hit, Hitler, um, whatever. But... I was always really fascinated with World War II as a kid, and I could see, obviously, what happened to the, to the Jews was, you know, there's, yeah, there's no words to describe. No words whatsoever. This, it was, you know, you can't even go, it's inhumane, it's like, you know. It's, it's beyond an excellent It's beyond that. that. And I would, I always had, you know, fascination, a documentary on TV, or I had a book, the Never Again book, and, you know, I'd really look at those images and just, I could feel it. And then at the same time, I was fascinated with, with Hitler, that one man could do all of that. And I was, I was, you know, then you read more and you go, okay, oh, there were structures and, and this is how he managed to, that was the, ah, okay. Yeah, like was, going through the situation. The situation, so. the plan, but, and then you go, oh, this is what's happening now. And you see it yeah. in a different kind of way. But as far as, um, yeah, I've always been fascinated with, with, with Hitler and how does that, how does a person who's born were born innocent and clean and like where do those what happened to him what happened to him where does that hate come from especially because the way people like historians they try to like kind of 
look back on his past life and try to find the specific moments but for something to come out that way i don't feel like there's ever there's ever going to be a proper explanation it's not that his mom didn't hug him enough or he didn't get to art school or whatever. but there's this documentary i can't remember what it was called but it's, it's it was on channel 4 or bbc yeah. and they were showing him as a drug addict because he had that crazy uh where was this doctor from say Dutch but he was on all kinds of drugs and there was a picture, they thought he had maybe Parkinson's or something and you see him he's yeah. like shaking sometimes yeah. covering his hands and you know yeah, this when he died, yeah. yeah so he was like on horse tranquilizers and all of this stuff I'm fascinated so I'm not it's not me going oh sorry we'll go back to I know it, well, it was just, where he used to hang out did okay? you just, do, you just, do you just realize now that your German mate from how do this album might be hearing this now like, did oh, she no. talk I, 10 minutes about World War II because of me <laughs> I wanted to send him something some magazine or book or something and he was like no 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 don't post that shit <laughs> he was like no 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 please don't so like, what do you mean because because they may no Alani please don't they may think of you know I'm a Nazi, or they checked the mail, please don't send it. And I said, like, oh shit. And then, <laughs> I, in my defense, in my defense, <laughs> then I have a friend, Patrice, who's an artist as well, who's half German, yeah. and he's half uh, Sierra Leone, Leonese. And, um, you know, we've had many conversations, and, you know, like, what was it like growing up? How, how was this, what was the, how did they reprimand themselves, or what, what, what was, you know, how did they explain this in school? And especially to you as a, a child of color, yeah. how was this put? So he was, oh no, no, we were so well informed. You know, they were always so apologetic for it. It was a mistake that the country made and the country had to make good of it. Yeah. And look at the position of Germany now because of that. Yeah, like and the America, leading. Yes, yeah. because Democracy. everyone's gone, all right, okay, we messed up because we're human. We did let this crazy man in, in control, but uh, we did it because we were needing hope and da 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 da. And look, we, now we have, we've realized our mistakes. We're going to do good. All of us are going to try and do our best as human yeah. beings. We're sorry. And for the, hopefully, I mean, who knows if that could happen with the states in like four or five well, look, decades. They have, one, they have a female president. They're really saying sorry. Yeah. They have. <laughs> as a woman, you're saying. As a, no, they're really saying, yeah. look, we, we're going to make up for this. We're going to be as balanced and even. We're going to do, the, you know, we're going to be the leading country for environmental issues, for climate change. They are on it. They're on oh, it. Yeah. They're changing it. They're changing it. They've, they've transformed that that same drive into good drive and if America can do that you know there's a bit of an issue right now in the administration just a little just one just a little one just like an evil just kind like of a, empire just little, like a little mosquito kind of like a restructuring yeah. of like evil dictators and scientists and so we'll see what the outcome is you know let's let's hope that it, you know he's bringing things up he's making us have this kind of debate this We've never been here before in history. This is an yeah. amazing time. Well, we? tell me this. Like, tell me this. I want to go into regards to your music and regards to what we're talking about right now. I love the fact that with live music, especially different types of acts that you could see, you come into a room and you forget about the world outside. That's mm -hmm. my biggest thing with live music. And I feel like with an album and a musician, an album like yours and a musician like you, you find a way to keep the audience arrested mm -hmm. within the moment where they're very much listening to your words. And I feel like when I think about Cherry Blossom, I think, and other songs that you, I feel like it really does, does this really great thing of bringing the listener to a moment in their lives where they could relate to what you're going through. Mm -hmm. What's it like for you to perform these songs for like an hour, hour and a half and realize that people are 
using it both as an escape and a means to return back to their own memories because you must be aware of that when you perform oh yeah i mean i i, I can feel it so i take it I, I i'm taking it out of them that's what's feeding me when i'm on stage the moment that every the fact that everyone is hitting a spot in everyone and they're they are connecting in some way and you know it's it's i can be saying words i could be saying any words it's it's about uh, the sound of vibration i'm I always said to myself, like, I don't really want to do this properly unless I'm happy in myself because if I make a noise out of my own body that's misery, other people will feel the misery. And if I'm happy and I share a happy noise, it could be the same note, but the feeling behind it, if it's happy, hopefully people will feel that instead of like a, oh my God, she's just, she's just having a, oh my God, you know, it's a different, so I could sing anything, but it's what I want to transmit onto an audience that, you know, like I said, I feel like it's my job to do it. I have a gift and I want to use it. Yeah, I kind of mess around with the gift. I smoke and I eat. <laughs> A lot of butter. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those old school French musicians smoked a lot and ate a lot of Oh, I tell myself all that time when I see a picture of Aretha smoking in the studio, I'm like, well, yes! <laughs> and Jodie Mitchell doing any interview and she's just like, and then she sings like a bird. Or if you watch <laughs> any interview with Serge Gainsbourg, that's oh, yeah. practically a I can't, smoke It has to be female, I can't do the male thing because they can sing. <laughs> I have to go, okay, who's got like the best? I even Ryan Carey, she's supposed to smoke Marlboro Lights and you know, with dear old Whitney Houston. So it always makes me feel better, but I'm like, okay. Bonnie Rich, she smoked loads, I think, growing up as well. That's another thing. You know what, particularly with what you said just there. I just smoke weed, I don't smoke cigarettes. Okay. Disclaimer for everyone listening. Disclaimer. <laughs> but tell me this, I wanted, I really wanted to ask you about this specific track in regards to what you were saying just now about, I mean, you were talked about a lot there, but when you were saying about how if you put out misery, people mm. realize and feel the misery. I mean, Darkness at Moon, that's a song that does that in spades. And what I love so much about that song, it fascinates me that you have a song that's existed for as long as that has. It's been a while since that song came out, but I feel like for a lot of people, and it was like this for me, that was the first song that made me aware of you. Like, it was like the song that made me find your music. And you have that amazing performance of Jules Holland, and like, how has it been seeing that reaction of that particular song? Because there's something about that song that's very special. Well... It was the song I recorded, it was like one of the last ones I recorded because I just couldn't do it. It was, I would cry every time I'd rehearse it. And I wrote it about the Swedish guy who just lost his brother. So it was kind of feeling what I felt for him, but also feeling the loss that he was feeling as well. That kind of taking that on. Yeah, I mean, I do, I have to do that a lot sometimes because I realise I don't want to create the drama in my own life, but I'll let other people around me have drama and I'll just take it in. Like my cousin's going through a really kind of difficult time at the moment and um, I've been in the studio working on a new project on, in New York and I just, let, over pancakes, I just let her talk. It's like, okay, I'm going to listen. I wasn't doing it at the table, but then when I got to the studio, it's like, oh yeah, great. I got a song. It's like, I just, Oh shit, and I can't tell her. <laughs> it's been like three days, like, should I tell her now? No, it's not the time. Just record it and send it. Because she's still in it. And she just can't, like, can't she do what musicians do and just add enough abstract words where she would never be able to tell? No, I want, I, it's not. No, no, it's a situation, though. It's a yeah. true situation. Yeah. I, can't, I don't want to make it abstract. I want to make it as true it's as possible. As possible. Um, you don't want to cheapen it and then you fasten it. No, it came through in a very clear way. 
So, so the song should be clear as well. Yeah, as and I'm trying to, you know, I want to be, I like to be compromising with my lyrics as much as I can, and if I make it abstract, then no one knows what I'm talking about. So, yeah. It felt that when I listened to the record, it felt like there were areas where you could have been abstract or drape words and imagery, and sometimes you do use imagery, but I felt like for the most part, you very much wanted people to know exactly, at least in regards to what the songs meant to you in a resonance way, it felt like you really much wanted people to like get a very good gauge of what the situation was about. Mm. Do you feel that's important for you? Like when people listen to your music, that the music does transport them to a place and a situation? I mean, I try to be as honest as I can. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm working on two new projects. One is an a cappella album. So everything is just vocal. There's body percussion, the beatboxer, the male vocal. And some songs, because of the nature of it, like I've had to lean more on percussive stuff and, and think about more of uh, like a rhythmic balance and it's not as, like I played it to certain people, ears that I trust and they they loved the first album because it was so, so bare, it was just voice and, and guitar or piano. Yeah. So you can hear everything. And now I've added some other things, so, you know, I've changed the way I sing because it's gonna do that yeah. naturally. And then, oh no, no, it's not as pure, it's like, you know, oh, it's such a pure, it's like, come on, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna change a little bit. But as like, a music oh. fan, I would hope, I would think that that's just the natural progression of other things. I'm not, I don't listen to you. <laughs> I will ask them and I will get them, I like to have their opinion, but I'm not gonna stop doing what my, my will is. Exactly. Some people go, oh no, it's not clean enough, or not, you know, muddied it. Well, yeah. I'm experimenting. There's a balance of. I still do some very strict back stuff. Yeah. Well, tell me this in regards to how you made this album, and for some people listening who might not know, you recorded the album almost entirely uh, a cappella style yeah. with an iPad. Yeah. And which I feel like a lot of people. <laughs> you know what I loved about reading? I read that after I heard the album. I heard the album first and found that after. And it was the type of thing I read that, and immediately I was like, hang the fuck on. And I went back to the album. And I was like, wait a second, what? Like. That's how this album was made. And I oh, no, it wasn't. I didn't record it. That's not the final version. Oh, okay. Not but the I, vocals, though? No, no. Oh, no. No, no. no. With, the new, with this acapella album, I've got some of my garage bands because oh, okay. I was being lazy. But no, no. <laughs> the task was then, with, I wrote everything first on acapella on my iPad, and I scored everything. Yeah. Like, with, like with the, I thought that was just like layering, so some of it was like re-recorded oh, no. like that. Yeah. yeah, no, then I started all over again. Oh. Look at that, I had, you, you had me all impressed, and now you're just kind of like... Are you not impressed I'm still impressed, so beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> no, but tell me sorry this... Sorry to disappoint you. Oh, please. But tell me this in this regard, though, like, when you were doing that, did you find yourself feeling like this is a new way for me to get my creativity out, or did it feel like a very specific place in time? I was... My mum got me this iPad for Christmas before I left for Grenada, and I was like, Mum, I don't want this. I don't want this touchscreen swipe shit. What are you doing? Why are you putting this technological <laughs> shit into my life? No, no, no! Okay, I'll take it. I was going to say, friend... that's not how most people typically respond to that. <laughs> and then my friend just downloaded the, a garage, the garage brand thing, was using it. It's like, well, why don't you do that and take it with you? It's like, no, no, no. Okay, let me try. Oh my God, like, I'm so happy I had that machine and I'm so happy that I had the garage band on there. And like, I had to, after when I got, I was like, okay, mom, thank you. Because um, it was actually one of the best presents I think I've ever got. Because <laughs> um, without it, it would have been, I had an eight track digital recorder thing, some boss, but you know, couldn't carry that around. And just to have an iPad, like yeah. a book, 
the little book just there to record every idea. I was three o'clock in the morning, I was there doing cherry blossom under a duvet. <laughs> you can hear the crickets and the sea and everything outside. And um, yeah, I was, yeah, I had to thank her. I couldn't be angry. <laughs> Technology got me. You know, Damon Albarn, he's recorded the last couple projects, the last two Gorillaz albums and his solo work and like a, uh, uh, like a uh, an opera score. The the beginning of all those, he started in the last like five years. He started with an iPod. Mm. Like he'll just like mumble to himself at sleep, take it to the studio, and just like it's amazing that you have the opportunity to do that. Like just the tip of your fingertips. Like. Yeah, he. I had the bus thing, and he saw my bus thing and went and bought one of those bus things for himself as well. <laughs> really good. He got yeah. more digital, like a one that had. Anyway, forget. Yeah. So I mean, it's. And then I saw him using the iPad, and I was like, hold on, this motherfucker, he's usually not that technical. How comes he's doing it? Okay, I'm gonna, I've got, I've got to, I've got to. But yeah, that was a, you know, he's always, uh, that, I think I learned a lot from him in that sense, that like, on tour, that's what he'd be doing. He'd be in his room making an album, or just with these little, whatever he had around him, just kept constantly getting these sketches down and nothing, he wouldn't stop, he's relentless, he's prolific for a reason, because that man doesn't stop. It blows me away, like always, always, true always bloody hero like that. Always creating, so that thing, I mean, I've started off, I always start with really good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> and then the so, weed and the butter got to know <laughs> Oh my God, today. <laughs> I did the wrong thing. I did yoga, but I did yoga stoned, and I don't usually do yoga stoned, but the class later. And then I was hungry afterwards, and I went to the food co-op, like organic shop thing, yeah. and I just wanted, I was like, I just want to eat peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and I'd never had grape jelly before, so. Oh, okay, no. grape jelly. That'll get you. I, peanut butter, oh yeah, brown bread, and some butter. Yeah. You know, you bring that up, but I also remember when I saw you in June at Central Park, because uh, you were performing Central Park at yeah. the French Festival. I remember there was a girl in the first oh, or second row. Yeah. <laughs> you bring that up. See, the thing is, girl likes food. Yeah, I don't eat, eat all day. It's really bad. You were like, why are you doing this to me? How could you? I don't think she realized how serious you were, because I saw it. Like, I looked at your face, I was like, oh, But the man gave me some chips after. The man came and brought me some chips Oh, did it really? Yes. That's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> I often have people bringing me food. I've got candy floss. Oh, alcohol. Before I let you go, uh, there's just a couple more things I want to ask you. Particularly, like, the first thing is um, you did a Tiny Dust concert recently. That was mm -hmm. fucking unbelievable, by the way. Cheers to you on that. That's fun. How was that? Like, tell me about that experience. Yeah, I, I was a bit nervous on that occasion because I'm not really used to singing during the day and in an office and everyone's just... Okay. It's like what? It's like 20, 30 people are like still there looking around. Like 50 people. Oh, it's like now. the whole, most of the office, they're yeah. allowed to take time off. Yeah. To come and see this concert. Oh, fuck, I didn't know it was that many. Fuck, so, yeah, maybe it's like, yeah, at least. 50. And it was like, oh, okay. It's like, oh, it's a proper gig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the br like bright daylight, and they can see everything. So, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> it was fun. It was a, yeah, I had a lovely day. That's beautiful. And, you know, like you've been on the road so much this year, like you've been traveling a lot. 
And you mentioned how you're like here in New York creating, like you've been doing that lately. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know when you're going back to Paris, or is that in the fourth? The end of the month, I go. Oh. And I go literally the day after. I go on a week tour of Holland, and in November I go to Istanbul and Estonia. I do a few dates in France, around France, and another date in Holland. When's it all gonna wind down though? Well, I need at least three weeks off like, over Christmas time when I want a beach and see and just to chill the fuck out. I need it. Um, but I'd probably be in the studio because I haven't finished my album yet. Well, and I've got two deadlines for December and I'm trying to tell everyone, like, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> like, come on now. Like, well, that's like what it's I'm... the end of the year. It's fucking on October. It's October. It's, it's October somewhere it's already. insane. Yeah. Like, we're done. The year is done. I'm not going to be able to finish two projects whilst on tour. No, it's just not going to happen. Well, you kind of inadvertently answered my next question because I was going to ask you what's it been like writing <laughs> lately. Like, what's it like writing now? I mean, does it feel different than when you were making this album? Yeah, I mean, I, it's been... It's, it's, like I wrote some stuff today and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I actually got a friend to come all the way up from Paris last week because I was like, I have got no words. <laughs> that was the only reason. I don't have words, come here. Come help me right now. Get your ass here now. And he just came. I was like, because he's a poet. I was like, okay, listen, I'm doing this project, um, this really important project. I'm, I'm writing with these like really important instrumentals. I'm chopping them up. I've got melodies. but. Fuck, I've got no lyrics. I just can't think of things to happen. Like, what am I writing about? What am I singing about? And if, I, if I'm on the road constantly, I, I don't get to see life. Yeah. So it's been good here to, you know, fill the life of my cousin, right, see that situation. Even him coming over, this, there was stuff to write about that coming him, you know. So I guess maybe I was just playing with something as well, but yeah, I was like, come, come on. We just came for three days and we didn't really write anything. <laughs> I was gonna say, the way you framed that, I was like, that's not what you did anything. No, he, got, he was supposed to stay for a week, but then he had some complications with his construction work in yeah. France. But what he did allow me to do was that I played everything through and I was just like kind of check with someone. Just some, to have someone go, yeah, that works. Like this a second opinion, yeah. Well, not even a second opinion. I think I never usually share my writing space or um, that's, that's my zone. No one gets in, but it was nice just to have someone to to listen to it and review it with me and kind of hear their take on it and trust that like it wouldn't affect me. Yeah. You know no, it does make sense because it's like, I'd imagine just by proxy of like having someone like that come in, it's obviously someone you trust and feel knows you well enough where anything they would say in regards to your music is something you could not listen, you would listen to, but it's like you'd consider. Yeah. Someone whose words you would consider. Yeah. Well, that's unbelievable. Well, you're about to perform tonight, opening up for Sun Little. Yeah. Uh, before I get, like, like, we sign off, is there a song you're really keen on performing tonight? Probably Cherry Blossom, isn't it? I'm keen to perform, do you yeah. say? Yeah, a song you're very keen to perform. I don't even think, oh, dude, I have no idea. I don't think about this. <laughs> you, just, you just go on stage and wing it? Just yeah, like, oh, every night I'm winging it. No, you don't, every night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only time, I mean, I've, I've got a new guitarist now. Yesterday was our first gig, so yeah. I had to oh, spend... That's interesting, because the last guitarist, yeah, like the way you guys played, the interplay was really fucking good. Oh, yeah, and yeah. that was when you saw us perform, that was our 
second gig or third gig. Wow, that's amazing. And he so, was there for a tiny dust kind of day. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm new with him. We went to Brazil together, but he had to do some stuff in France, so he couldn't do these days. But this yeah. new guy is like, okay, cool, let's go. <laughs> um, so I had to think about certain things for a moment, but yeah. nothing heavy. <laughs> like, I can't control. I just have to know my shit. I can't control anything. I'm very much looking forward to you meeting up with like younger, like younger musicians coming up to you and just going, like, I'm thinking about this, this, this. So you can just be like, stop thinking about all that shit. Stop it. It's like I'm thinking about the set list over an hour. Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. <laughs> I have no set list. I have no set list. That's amazing. Well, I, I have no. I know an order, but sometimes <laughs> I'm like I don't want to do that one, <laughs> so I just leave it. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone downstairs is gonna be looking forward to seeing you wing Alani. That's what you want me to do. <laughs> I rose like the rising sun and I